This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. everyone and welcome back to the auto repair marketing podcast. Today we're flipping the script a little bit and I am technically your host Kim Walker and my co-host today is Brian Walker and it's our privilege to have our good friends who are amazing coaches in the industry Rick White with 180biz and Cecil Bullard from the Institute we're going to be talking about kind of a deep topic, but we want to bring some positivity to it. So I'm going to get into that here in just a moment. But first, please let me thank our sponsors, which is RepairPal. Thank you, RepairPal, for sponsoring this podcast. They can help you grow your business and bring in new customers. Just check them out by going to repairpal.com forward slash shops. So with that said... We're talking about hope after bankruptcy. For me, if I just say the word bankruptcy, people get all cringy and uptight and they close their mouths, their lips get tight. They, you know, people are like a taboo topic. And I guess I do that because I talk about all things menopause and everything else. So might as well talk about bankruptcy. But what I want to do because I was having a conversation not too long ago with a shop owner, a married couple. I was talking to one of the spouses and understanding that they're in bankruptcy and the other spouse like is full of shame, doesn't want to talk about it. The person I was talking to, and I'm trying not to say whether it was a husband or wife in case they listen. I don't want to call anyone out, but there was a lot of impacts marriages, it impacts families and no one knows about it. The person doesn't want to talk about it. They don't want to share it with anyone. And it just hit me. And I was encouraging them by saying, look, there are people who have recovered from this and are doing unbelievably well. You don't have to live in that box of shame. It is okay. And there, are, I believe there are other people who need to know about it. So... I put some feelers out to some friends and Rick and Cecil answered, Brian and I have been through bankruptcy. We are way on the other side of it. And I wanted to bring in some people that would have an open and honest conversation. And so when Rick and Cecil replied and said, I'm in, and they were both very quick about it. Like, heck yeah. Honestly, I was reaching out to them. I forgot about their stories to tell you the truth. I reached out to them to say, do you have any clients? that would be willing to talk about it. And they both said, I'll talk about it. Let me talk about it. So that's what we're here for today is just really open up this conversation and have something truthful and honest so that people can listen and leave from it and not feel ashamed of what they're going through and know that there are lessons to learn and there's hope on the other side of it. So with that being said, I want to just kind of start off by asking you guys, let's talk about what got us there. Like the decision to make that call to that attorney and say, tell me more about bankruptcy. So Rick, what got you to that point? When was that? What can you tell us about your story? Well, first of all, I got to tell you, looking at the videos here, I feel like I'm in the dating game or something. Kim on one end and three guys here, you know, bachelor number one. <laughs> that might be how I start going by it. That's funny. So I went bankrupt probably a long time ago. So I got, I went bankrupt in 1989. So it was probably before some, some of y'all were born. I had a first no. shop. I started when I was 20 years old and ended up getting in a car wreck to getting divorced almost at the same time. I had about $30,000 in debt, sold the shop for the debt just to get out of it. 
one of those times in life where it was just everything was too much pressure. And back then, 30, I think if you do $30,000 in, in a inflation calculator from 1987 is when I actually sold the shop. It's a lot of money today. And back then, our labor rate was $30 an hour. And so I gave the guy, I sold it. We got everything. We went down, talked to all the vendors personally. He agreed to take over the liabilities on them. And he kind of floundered the shop for a couple of years and then shut it down and all the vendors went after me. Hmm. Wow. So that was young. I mean, at 87, I was what, 25. And there's a lot more power in the, the written word than the spoken word. So well, just our accountability, maybe that's a good way to say it. So I ended up at the time I was working at another shop making $300 a week and 150 of that was going to child support. So this debt was just way over what I could handle. I also had a $30,000 lawyer bill. So I was upside down by 60K on 150 bucks a week. It was just no way out. And sat down with a guy and we started the process. It was a hard process back then. They don't make it easy or they didn't at the time. And it was almost like you had to do the walk of shame thing. But it was one of those things that was the only way I could kind of move on. And, you know, my first wife, I've never seen someone write checks on a negative balance and not have them bounce. She was just a pro. I don't know how she did it. She, her motto was, I can't be out of money. I still got checks left. It was so bad. So I actually got divorced in 87 and did not get a checking account until 1995 when I bought my shop, my second store, because I was just so averse to being negative and stuff like I paid everything cash. And the only reason I got a checkbook then was because of the business. Yeah. So it definitely changes the way you look at things. But I think it's important to recognize that it's just a lesson, right? I made some mistakes. You know, I think what makes it dirty is when we have the expectation that we shouldn't make a mistake. Yeah. But the reality is we're going to make mistakes. And was it fun mm -hmm. to go through? No. But boy, was it helpful. It helped me get on the other side and start to rebuild. And you start looking around what Henry Ford was went bankrupt three times before he started Ford Motor Company. I just had to remind myself that my current location wasn't my final destination, right? Not unless I chose to make it that way. I love that. Definitely a great takeaway. Cecil, what got you to that point? Where were you? About 2000. So I got to go back a couple of years. I was in Palm Springs. I had three shops. I had part ownership in three shops. One of the shops I own 97% and, and I gave 3% to the manager to come manage it. About a year and a half in, I found out that I owed the IRS about half a million dollars and I owed the state of California about 200,000. And what had been happening was the manager had been signing checks and writing them in the checkbook to the state or to the feds, but those checks never went there. They always got cashed. So I had, had 300,000 in my 401k and I made a deal with the IRS that I would take that money out. They can't get that money. And I gave it to them to settle that debt. And then I worked about six months at, at the shop. And it was, I remember it was August, it's about 180,000 degrees out. And one of my techs uh, screwed something up and I had been working there. I kicked the guy out and I had two other shops that were, they were successful. I was draining them literally every day trying to keep this thing going. It was about six o'clock at night. There was angry customer because his vehicle, we were supposed to put a timing belt on it. And it came in, I don't know, at eight in the morning and here we are at six, it wasn't done. And my tech started it and it sounded like someone was beating it with a hammer. I took the customer home. I stayed and fixed the car that night about 10 o'clock. I took the car to his house. I got a cab back to the shop. And the next morning I called the lawyer and I said, I, I just don't want to do this anymore. I was out of money. I had paid off the IRS. I had paid off the state. I had paid off every single debt that the shop owed, but I had no money. I had nothing going on. 
I didn't declare bankruptcy at that time because I went to the lawyer and the lawyer said, no, just close the shop, sell the other shops, do whatever you want to do. So I sold the shops and I moved up to Utah. I moved from Palm Springs where I had grown up for 35 years because I was embarrassed of because of the financial loss that I had, which I should have had control over, but I didn't have enough control. I didn't know enough at the time. And I want to make a statement here. I mean, I moved my family, my wife, my four children with a new baby out of Palm Springs up to Utah in embarrassment. Okay. Felt like I needed a fresh start. Don't get me wrong. It was great to be up here. I came up here, worked for a dealership for about a year and a half. And then I started working for this transmission place and I fell in the pit, shattered my right ankle. I spent two years having surgeries, had seven of them. Couldn't walk, couldn't work. I had a second on the house when we moved out of Palm Springs. I gave my truck back to the local Ford dealership. I gave my house back to the bank. But I had a second that was $18,000 that was haunting me. And they came after me once I had this injury and there was just no way out. I mean, literally, I was at a point where I couldn't even work. We were making, I think at the time, $214 or $224 a week on disability. And I had four kids and my mortgage was 1800 bucks. If it hadn't been for family and friends and church, we would have been homeless multiple times during that two years. Well, about midway in, I said, screw this. I owe these people 18 grand. And I sent them a letter and I basically said, look, if you don't get off my back, I'm happy to pay it. If you don't get off my back, I'm going to declare bankruptcy. And we declared bankruptcy. And yes, we did the walk of shame. The doctors had screwed up the first time I shattered my ankle. They didn't know that it was shattered. They put me in a cast. And five days later, I was going into emergency surgery where they were going to tell me they were cutting my foot off. And you want to think you're at a low point in your life. Think about not only am I completely broke and I have four kids and a wife and a family and I had been raised probably like all of you that you take care of stuff, especially if you're the man in the house, blah, blah, blah. And then I was being told they were going to cut my foot off and that I'd never be able to quote unquote work again or walk again or any of that kind of stuff. It was like the lowest point in my entire life. One morning, three o'clock in the morning, I swear to God, a voice came to me and said, hey, stupid, knock, knock, McFly. I gave you a brain. You don't need a foot. Your brain is what's going to get you through. We declared bankruptcy shortly after that. I just got to say, I thought my life was completely over, but God or whatever you want to say came to me and basically said, you have a brain. And from that point on, I went to college. I got a couple of degrees while I was having surgeries. After four surgeries, the doctor still said, you can't walk. That's it. That you'll never be out of a wheelchair. And I found another doctor, went there. They finally cut the nerves, at least one of the nerves to my foot so I could put weight on it. From there, I was able to run a very successful shop. I learned my lessons. Bankruptcy, I think getting taken advantage of was a fantastic lesson. I like to tell people, I think I'm a good coach, not because I did it all right, but because I literally did it all wrong. And I think I learned from all of that. I was able to run a good shop. I've had this company now for over 20 years, very successful, been able to have, I think, a really big impact on a lot of people's lives, a very positive impact. And I would just say every great person has gone through hard times. There's no great person that hasn't gone through some really difficult times. And most people like Henry Ford have been through a bankruptcy. When you think you're at the end of your rope, when you think the world's over with, it isn't. It's just mm-hmm. a starting point. So yeah. you got to- It sucks. It sucks, yeah. but it's not fatal. No, right. it's not. Today, would I want to declare bankruptcy? No. But if I had to, I wouldn't have a problem doing it uh, tomorrow if that was necessary. And I wouldn't even, quote unquote, be ashamed. I might be mad, but I wouldn't be ashamed. I want to thank our friends at RepairPal for making this episode possible. They're on a mission to put trust back in auto repair. 
You're an honest shop that delivers high quality work and great service, right? Well, millions of consumers looking for mid to major mechanical repair look for shops like yours in the RepairPal Trusted Network. Contact them to get certified today and receive one month free service at repairpal.com forward slash shops. Being in the RepairPal Certified Network helped us grow our shop's business and it can help yours too with new customers and a higher ARO. Plus, you don't have to worry anymore about arguing with customers over price because shops in the RepairPal Certified Network are trusted by consumers for being fair priced, not low priced, fair priced. You have to be in it to win it. So head over to repairpal.com forward slash shops to learn more and set up a call. When you sign up, you'll get one month of service free and save $150 off certification. Tim and I go pretty deep into the story in episode two of the podcast, and I'll link that in the show notes. We filed bankruptcy in 2008, but I need to go back to 2007 to really tell the story because 2007 was an amazing year for us. 2005, 2006 were, you know, they were, they were kind of tough. 2007 was a great year. And I'll never forget at the end of the year, my accountant tells me you need to spend some money. I had money. He's like, go buy equipment, whatever you need, go make some purchases or you're going to have a huge tax bill. Worst advice I've ever gotten. And I love to tell people now that if your accountant ever tells you that, find a new accountant. If you had a great year and you made money, pay the damn taxes. Like when you pay taxes, that means that you did something right. Don't be afraid to do that. Because if I had not done that, then we'd be telling a very different story right now. But in 2008, I don't remember the exact date. I think it was August or so. We pull up to the shop one day. October 8th. Okay, October. So there are, there's cones everywhere when we pull up. And next thing they are digging up the end of our driveway. And it was supposed to be a three week long road construction project. We're talking about a small, simple road construction project. They were putting in a turn lane, but they were putting in turn lanes all over the city. And the way that this company decided to do it was they did one piece at a time. They would go dig all of them up and then they like did it in steps. Like they did the same step at every one of these things. They kept promising me, oh, three weeks, three weeks. Well, it ended up taking seven months. But because they kept promising me three weeks, I never laid anybody off. I was an inexperienced business person at the time, and I made some really poor mistakes. Blame it on a road construction project, but the truth of the matter is, is I was not the businessman I needed to be at that time to pull us through that. And I made poor decisions like paying my technicians that were standing around with nothing to do rather than paying my taxes and got way behind on taxes during that time. And Basically got to a point at the end where I don't want to say that we couldn't pull out of it because I look back at it and it's like we, we probably could have or I know that we could have pulled it out or certainly if you take the me of today and put me in that situation, we would navigate through it easily. But it, it was one of those things where the stress had gotten so bad that I basically burned the thing down in the end. And we did choose to file bankruptcy. We were probably $350,000 in debt at that time with taxes and everything. The IRS was taking money out of our accounts. They were just going in and taking it. And we think we have enough money to make payroll. And we go in that morning and there's no money in the account anymore. And that's the kind of stuff we were dealing with. And the stress levels were so high. I will never forget just how stressed out I was. But anyway, we did end up filing bankruptcy. And at first, there was a lot of shame that came with it. But I remember the day that all of the filing was complete. Kim and I were, we had driven separately to the attorney's office and we went out to the parking lot and she left and I got out and got sat down in my vehicle. And I remember sitting in that vehicle just crying. 
my Bible sitting next to me in the seat next to me and I picked it up and just flipped it open and it flipped open to Matthew 6 and I have Matthew 6.33 tattooed on my arm and did at that time. That was actually the first tattoo that I had was that. And I flipped it open, it opened up to Matthew 6 and I started reading it and I get to the part about where he's talking about, you know, how the birds of the air don't store up food and basically that God is going to take care of you. And there was a lot of peace that came through that moment of reading that. And it eventually got to a point, and it it honestly didn't take very long, but it got to a point where Kim and I found ourselves where we were encouraging other people. Because as soon as people start finding out that you filed bankruptcy, you start talking to other people. They're like, oh, I did it too. They're all quiet about it and everything. But we have, through the years, been able to encourage so many people that have had to do, you know, file bankruptcy. And I think that's why Kim felt so much like we needed to record this episode because it has been part of our story and we've been able to help so many others out with it. Like Brian was saying, there's so much to this, to our story. But when we also moved, we packed up just like you see. So we packed up and we moved from North Carolina back home to Louisiana and restarted. And same thing, you know, we pretty much broke it down to nothing. We lost or gave back everything. And I just want to share from the wife perspective, you know, Brian mentioned that we drove in separate vehicles. I still remember that day very, very well as well, because I got in the car and drove off. And it's funny, I never knew what Brian did when until just now when he said it, but I pulled off and went down the road and pulled into a parking lot and lost it just crying because you work so freaking hard to get to come to that point and make that decision. And I remember my daddy, who was a blue collar worker, he was a welder. And as a small child, I remember hearing the word bankruptcy and it was associated with failure and misery and just, it was all bad. It was terrible. And so when that word was brought up after all the work that we had put in, I just remember thinking, we'll never recover from this. Like that is the bottom. And so I drove off, cried, but I can't shut my mouth. So I'm a talker and I was talking to people. And then when we moved home to Louisiana, I had people reaching out to me saying, hey, I know what happened to y'all. Like, how did you make it through that? So they could see, because you're on Facebook, you see how people are living. And I share the good and the bad. It's not just a highlight reel. And I've had so many people reach out and say privately, don't tell anybody I'm asking you about this, but how'd you do it? And so being able to share your story just empowers and encourages others. So I just knew bankruptcy. I didn't know there were different kinds. So I think it's important that we just very quickly share. And we are not attorneys. If you are listening to this right now and you're in that situation where you're thinking about it, you're considering it, you have to get educated on it. We are not attorneys. So talk to someone else. But I never knew there were different types. And so like you, Cecil, and I know you as well, Rick, like we were just raised like handle your debts, like take care of yourself. And I still can't, you know how many checks I wrote to chapter whatever? You think I would remember the number, but I think there are some things we repress intentionally. So I can't remember which one it was, but we went with the one where for five or six years straight. Chapter 13. Chapter 13, because I wrote the check every month, chapter 13 bankruptcy and sent it off. And so do y'all have anything that you want to say as far as making the choice to figure out which direction to go in? I need to clarify something. First of all, your accountant may say spend money. 
it's not necessarily a bad strategy because there are strategies to save money on taxes as long as you prepare for the fact that you're going to pay taxes. So I know Brian says, if your accountant says, get rid of him, I'm sorry, I've told some people to spend some money occasionally (laughs) in the right strategy. Second, talk to a lawyer, find out which is best for you because it depends on your situation, et cetera. I think we filed ours with chapter 11. So I didn't write any checks. I literally, that was that. It was all Mm -hmm. done. Yep. Yep, Cecil is absolutely right about that. Mm -hmm. If your accountant is telling you to spend money and you have plenty of money there and you have a absolute, you have an actual need, then if there's something that you're going to end up buying the next year anyway, yeah, absolutely. Do it, do it before the end of the year. In my case, I had zero intention of going and making a big Mm -hmm. equipment purchase until he told me to do that. Mm -hmm. And I spent to the point that I did not have enough buffer that I should have had. And your accountant should have told you, look, you can spend X, but you need to put this away because you're Mm going to have this tax bill, like it or not. You are going to pay some taxes and you better be ready for it. And I think that's Um, the difference between CPA and a CFO is a CFO, at least from my experience, I work with both now and the CFO gives me so much more guidance. The CPA gives me guidance from a tax strategy standpoint, but the CFO gives me guidance from a standpoint of actually running and growing the business. Right. You don't want to buy something to kill cash flow. That's absolutely, you know, buy an $80,000 truck so you get the write-off this year and then you got a $1,000 payment for the next eight years. It's just killing cash flow. So, yeah, you know, I think I was, is it chapter seven? It was so long ago. It was either chapter seven or chapter chapter 11. I walked in owing a ton of money and I walked out owing nothing. So there were no checks for me, but it wipes out your credit. Mm-hmm. You basically can't get a credit card or anything like that. At the time, it was seven years. And honestly, my ex-wife kind of cured me of all of that anyway. So that wasn't a big deal for me. It was funny walking out. It's hard to admit falling. I don't like the word failure. It's Same. hard to admit falling, right? Because this is a documented case of falling. Like, what's the first thing we do? Like, it was, it was funny. Once I used, I had a Look motorcycle, around. right? Look around to make sure nobody's watching. <laughs> I steering wheel on the motorcycle and jumped on, forgot I had done it, started up and turned left and then tried to straighten it out and I couldn't and dumped the bike. And the very first thing, I, I didn't even look to see if I was bleeding. The first thing I did was look to see, did anybody see me, right? Mm-hmm. And when you're going bankrupt, it's a pretty public declaration of I fell. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Falling isn't bad. Falling is part of life. Falling is where we learn, right? Tough times make strong people. If you learn the lessons, right? If you learn the lessons and guess what? I'm going to say this the wrong way. I'm still getting my ass kicked. It's just part of life. I get yeah. smarter. I get better at stuff, but I still get kicked and it's okay. So I think one of the things we've got to do when we're talking about this stuff is the expectations is life's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And it's how we respond to that. Not react, yeah. but respond. I think if you're not getting kicked, you're not trying hard enough. That's right. I mean, you're not putting yourself out there. Not that I'm going to put myself in a position where I need to declare bankruptcy, not consciously, right? Not intentionally. But most people, why are they charging 29% interest on credit card to cover all the people that default? I mean, yeah. there's a lot of default going on in the mm-hmm. world. Over, 10, over 10% right now. Yeah. And to me, it's like, if I don't make a mistake every once in a while, I'm always afraid God's going to take me from the earth if I'm too perfect. So I got to mm-hmm. have a few flaws, right? <laughs> don't I get to stay for a while? All right. I'm we, never going to die. We should be making some mistakes. Just we should get smarter and smarter. And then like... 
Brian, he's got a CFO and an accountant. One of the problems that we have, I think, in small business, first of all, mom or the wife is trying to do the accounting. In most of the cases, she's not prepared or, and we even hire accountants or bookkeepers who aren't prepared to give us Mm -hmm. financial advice. That's a different thing. Mm -hmm. Making sure we knew where the money got spent and putting it in a place where we could file taxes is one thing, but having good, sound tax advice from somebody that knows and understands how to do it, that's another thing altogether. You said earlier about the word failure. Brian just wrote a blog titled Failing Forward, and we'll probably be doing a podcast based on that. But that is something, whether you use the word failure or falling, and there's so many different perspectives on that. We've been talking to our son constantly because he's in a high stress, high paced, like super stressed out environment. We're like, dude, you are going to make mistakes. You're going to fail. He's 21 years old and he gets stuck in it. And we're like, the key is if you say falling, well, get up. Like it's time to go, get up. Don't stay down there. If you're going to fail, fail forward, which is the same thing, right? So we're just repeating that to him over and over and over again. And he's only 21, but there's people still that just have never picked up on that. And they just stay down there. So I love what y'all are saying about that. So one of the things I think is important to tell Peyton is that West Point isn't looking for perfection. It's looking for resilience. For sure. Yeah. Right. And that's what we need to be. A perfection. And I tell people all the time, there was only one perfect human being in the world and we done crucified him. So perfection's out the window. In fact, it's, I believe, the lowest standard you can set for yourself Mm -hmm. because we all know it's not attainable. One One of the most comforting things I ever heard, I was listening to an interview with Mark Cuban and he was talking about how he'll never go into business with someone who has not lost at least one business in the past. And the like reason why is he said- business with Mark Cuban? That would be great. <laughs> <laughs> he was talking about how, you know, people that have never lost a business before, they think that they're invincible. And there's so many lessons that they still need to learn. And he rattled off like all of these famous entrepreneurs, like y'all talked about Henry Ford, but he rattled off all of these famous entrepreneurs and how many of them have failed in business in one way or another. And some of those included bankruptcies. He's right when he talks about that, because I think about back at Brian of 2007, when I was doing that, it's like, man, we were reading our own press clippings. Like we believed how great we were and almost had that feeling like we were invincible. And then it took something little like a road construction project to show just how weak Mm -hmm. I was as a a business person. But one of the things that that has done for me is it is it has made me where I know that is something I never want to happen again. So I'm constantly looking at where are the places where we're weak? Where am I weak personally? And what can I do to make myself and our business stronger in those areas? There's two things that will kill you. And one is fear and the other is pride. And I look at at our business because it's the business that I understand. I mean, I'm pretty sure that dentists and doctors and shoe stores have the same problems that we do. But there are so many shop owners that I think they don't get the help they need coaching because of their problems. Right. Mm-hmm. They don't want to know that they've been doing it wrong for 25 years or they're afraid I'll make a mistake. Well, holy smokes, if I was afraid I'd make a mistake, I would never get out of bed. I yeah, mean, for I would sure. be completely disabled. I make mistakes every day. I make tons of them. Not on purpose. I'm not a perfect human being. Yeah. Well, it's amazing. I, you know, one of the things, Brian, I think is important is, and I think you hit it really well, is the fact that, okay, I fell down. What can I learn from this? And then I got to let it go. And that's something I'm dealing with a client right now that lost a business and he's in a new business now and he's doing really well, but he's afraid to grow because he's allowing his past to dictate what's possible instead of understanding it's not there to define, it's there to refine. 
Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, I don't want to make the same mistakes. And I'm like, it's not physically possible to make the same mistakes again because you've already learned those lessons, right? You got to make mm-hmm. new mistakes now. Yeah. And it doesn't mean you're supposed to avoid those mistakes, right? And again, I'm not going to take a haphazard risk, but I will take calculated risk, right? I look at an opportunity and I say, okay, how much risk is here? And by doing it that way there, it's not fatal. It might hurt. I'll fall down again, but it's not going to kill the business because I understand what needs to happen. Like when I I hurt my back in 2021 and I was out for two months, my wife will tell you she was a widow for two months. I was on 600 milligrams of oxycodone every four hours. The lights were on, but there was nobody home. If it wasn't for the grace of three clients, long-term clients picking up the torch and coaching those two months, I don't think we'd be here today. Now, today, two of those guys have stayed on and and they're now assistant coaches. And I'm learning that I have to grow from this, right? That I've got to get it so that the business is not wrapped around me because stuff happens. And again, these are just lessons. And that's what bankruptcy is. It's just a lesson. It's an opportunity to learn and start over. Shop owners out there right now listening who are either in bankruptcy, they're in shame, they don't want to talk about it, they don't want to tell anybody, or people are at the cusp of making that decision. What would you tell the shop owner about taking care of yourself emotionally, mentally, like pick up, let's go, get out of it, don't stay down there? Cecil, I've seen you shaking your head. Do you have something to I'm add always, to that? I'm like, I think... People would look at me and they go, well, there's a guy that's got it all together. He's blah, 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 blah. That's all BS. I mean, frankly, I've sat in my car and and cried. I have literally stayed up all night worrying about a situation, an employee, a customer, whatever, right? Am I going to make it through this? Don't torture yourself. I think Brian kind of said it, the verse. I mean, there's a bunch of books up there about self-help. I don't know, 15 years ago, I was like, okay, I'm a wreck. I need to figure this out. So I bought all these books. In most of them, there's kind of this idea that the universe provides. If you're in the right place, the right answer comes, blah, blah, blah. God provides for us. We are supposed to make mistakes. We're supposed to pick ourselves up. We're supposed to learn from those things. Don't wallow or sit in your misery. It's not the end of the world. It's so funny because I had this conversation the other day and then these young kids, they get their first heartbroken the first time. They're 12, 13, 15. They don't have all this experience. So this one time my heart is broken, it's the end of the world. And some of these kids actually commit suicide. They do things that dramatically change their potential, etc. Experience is the teacher. All of us have been, I had my heart broken many times and I felt that way. I felt like it was the end of the world. When I business, when the IRS came and shut my doors and drained all my accounts and all of a sudden I've got no money and I find out I'm 700 grand in debt, it's the end of the world. I might as well just kill myself. I might as well, because there's no getting back from here, except there is. I mean, through, I don't know, perseverance, we all walk a tough road sometimes, but we keep walking through it and there's a brighter day. I live by a a specific motto. It's a weird motto because today, if everything's bad, I know tomorrow's going to probably be a really good day. So if if it's horrible today, Mm -hmm. I know, okay, tomorrow the sun's going to shine. The reverse of that, however, is if the sun's shining today, tomorrow might be a bad day, right? Mm -hmm. You just have to keep walking one step. How do you get through bankruptcy? Well, you put one foot in front of the other and you move forward. How do you get through betrayal? You put one foot in front of the other and you move forward. 
They're still good people. The world is, holy smokes, it's an amazing place. Mm -hmm. And if you have any belief, whether it's, if it's God, that's great. That's what I believe in. If it's something else, that will carry you miles and miles and miles. All those books. I always hate it when I read The Universe Provides. But I want to tell you something, the universe provides. Yeah, that is great advice. I love that you've shared a couple of things. One, don't stay down there. Don't stay in your misery one step at a time. I love the books. We're all, we've all, Rick, you're a huge reader. I know that too. What would be your, like, do you have some steps? Like, do you have some practical, hey, you're down there in the dumps. I think we have to process where we are. I think it's good to recognize where you are, but you just can't stay there. What would you tell someone to get up and get out of that? Well, there's a saying, there's that song, you know, when you're going through hell, don't stop moving, right? Right. But too many of us set up camp or roast and marshmallows. I'm going to speak from a male perspective because that's the only one I know. I don't know about everybody else, but I was hardwired to protect and provide. And when I went through the bankruptcy, I felt like I was the ultimate failure of both. Okay. And what got me really through, because I was going through a divorce at the same time, right? I ended up losing my two kids and not seeing them for seven years. And I mean, that's a whole different story right there. But literally I was sitting, staring at the Rocky Mountains and thinking this is over, this is over, this is over. And a voice I swear was heavenly sent said, this is not the end of your book. It's the end of your chapter. And when we can realize that what we're going through, sometimes the end feels hard and it's hard to go through. But if we can see the beginning on the other side of the end, it's like a coin head and tails. One side's the end, the other side is the beginning. And start to move forward with like, okay, what am I going to do different? Yeah. That really is, it's a mindset shift. It's a perspective change that gets you through it. And then you just start over. But you start over, as Henry Ford said, failure is the opportunity to begin again more intelligently. And that's really what it's all about. And I was talking to somebody recently and they said, I want to succeed twice as fast. What do I got to do? And I said, fail twice as much. Because Mm -hmm. that's what we learn. That's how we learn. That's part of learning. That's why I get on owners all the time when, hey, I had a tech break apart. Well, was he doing something new? Yeah, he was. That's part of the learning budget, baby. Welcome to the business, babe. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So you're going to yell at your tech for breaking apart. So what do you think the chances are that guy's going to try and work on new stuff again? Like he's number one, he's not going to. And number two, he read somewhere that three gallons of blue goo will hold 15 pounds of pressure. And you'll have this mound of blue silicone under where you're under the hood somewhere trying to hide it. For me, it really was just a perspective change. There's not, I don't think there's steps. I think it's realizing the bankruptcy sucks and it's okay to say, hey, this sucks, Mm -hmm. right? There's a piece of shame. Now, I didn't move. I stayed where I was, right? 150 bucks. Where the hell was I going to go? So, you know, I stayed where I was and I just rebuilt and did it a little better and then did the next one a little bit better. I I think I just want to make something kind of as clear as I can make it. And that is it's okay to be miserable, right? It's okay Mm -hmm. to feel pain. It's okay to say, wow, this is horrible. Mm -hmm. I'm going through something that is terrible and it's okay to cry and it's okay to gnash your teeth and kick the wall if you want to break your foot or, you know, whatever. But if you stay there, that's the difference, right? That's the, or if you use that as an excuse never to move forward again, right? Oh, I'm, geez, the first gal that I ever met broke my heart. So I'm never going to have a relationship with anybody. Well, holy crap. Don't we want to have relationships with people? Isn't that what makes life interesting and fun and both painful and enjoyable at almost at the same time. Pain is a given, but suffering is a choice. 
right? Pain is part of life. It, Pain's it's a gift it's, sometimes. It's where I learn. It's where I grow. It's where I get better. And it's where it makes life sweeter, right? The good times feel better. But staying stuck in that pain, that's where suffering starts. And suffering's a choice. It, when you fall down, staying down, that's suffering. That's what holds you back, too. It's, yeah. It keeps mm-hmm. you from making smart choices. You both said something that I think was super powerful. And Cecil, you talked about the relationship that are necessary. And you talked about being a provider and protector. And I think back to when we were in the midst of it and Brian is so much the provider and the protector and he worked so dang hard. I remember him working all day. He was doing the mobile mechanic thing and he was killing it and working hard. Then he'd come home and he was delivering pizzas the local pizza place. And he's the type that like, we have bills to pay. I'm going to work until we can, like he wasn't sleeping and was just working so hard and doing all those things. But one of the things that also happened was mentioned earlier, Rick, was you said, actually say this sucks, but who I want to say from the female perspective, don't forget to say that out loud to your spouse. Like have those conversations. They're hard. It's not fun, but we talked about things. There were things that I know we both probably didn't share about just how deep our fear was, just how miserable we were, but we did talk through those things as well. So just don't forget the relationships, how important they are. Brian, what would you add to that? Well, the one thing that I really want to make clear as we're talking about this too. So we are telling you that if if you are in a situation where you have to file bankruptcy, it is okay and you will get past it. I also want to make it very clear that bankruptcy does suck. If it hasn't been clear enough from the discussion that we're having here, it sucks. I've seen a conversation recently in one of the industry Facebook groups where somebody was thinking about filing bankruptcy over like $25,000. It's like, oh my gosh, you know, Kim talked about me going to work. I mean, working two, three jobs. If I needed to come up with an extra twenty-five grand. I can do that over the course of four months if I needed to, especially in this world with the gig economy and driving Uber and delivering DoorDash and you know doing whatever you have to do to make that money. You can do that. And anything that you can do to keep from having to file bankruptcy is a better alternative than filing bankruptcy. But there are Amen. times like where we were, where we had payroll due and the IRS had just gone in and wiped us out. And that kept happening over and over. And as much as we were fighting, we couldn't do it, we had to file bankruptcy. There was no other way out for us at that time. But if you can get around doing it, if you don't have to do it, don't do it because it is not a fun thing to deal with. And I think that a lot of people who file bankruptcy are thinking about filing bankruptcy. If instead they would just say, you know what, over this next six months or this year, I'm going to work like I've never worked before. They could possibly get past it without having to do it. And keep in mind for our listeners that each one of us, we think there is a chapter seven, a chapter 11 and a chapter 13. It doesn't matter which one you end up going with. They all hurt. They're all miserable. They all are painful, but they're there's hope on this other side of all of them. And so I think there's a lot to take away from this. So there's one more thing I just got to say, and that's for provider protector. That's how I was raised. And I think the other men in here, that's how we were raised. I mean, and I think you have to not be afraid to accept help from other people because some of us, I think sometimes, I mean, like I said, if it wasn't for my church and my family, mm-hmm. we would have been homeless multiple times during that while I was having those surgeries, et cetera, et cetera. And I had to accept help from other people. 
I think sometimes we put it all on our shoulders and maybe that's not what we should do. I mean, don't get me wrong, Brian, like today, if I needed an extra, I don't know, even a hundred grand, I'd probably find a second job, a third job. Can I write art? What can I do? Right. Mm -hmm. Because there's a lot of, a lot of things you can do. But I think also somebody says, Hey, let me help you Mm -hmm. say, okay. Right. She sure. help. I mean, I think all of us occasionally will work with somebody who they got no money. They're in a position. I've right. had multiple calls. Hey, Cecil, I've got somebody I want you to work with. Sometimes I have an ex-client who's like, I'm going to pay for this person. And yeah. sometimes it's just like, hey, Cecil, can you help this person? If you're in the plus side, give back. Yes. Right? I mean, I mean, consciously say, wait a minute. I remember when I was down and somebody helped me, I need to help. Right. And if you're in the minus side, don't forget to look around you. And if somebody comes to offer help, accept their help. Absolutely. We'll help you. It's hard to do. You know, too often we think give and take is a line, right? Giving and receiving. It's actually a circle. I can't right? ever pay back what was the help that got my family through those two years. Yeah. I can't pay that back. Right. Uh, I can only try to pay it back. Yep. Pay it forward. It's not a line. It's you do what you can do when you can do it. Kim, you brought something up about being able to talk with your significant other, whatever that be, the relationship. And I think that's super, super important. And I know for me, it was really hard because every time we brought it up, I felt like a failure. So that's guys, true. if you're don't avoid the conversations with your spouse or your significant other because they're going through it too. Understand it was not that you were a failure. You had a business that failed. You had something that failed. That's okay. Learn from it, but don't own it. Don't make it your identity, right? That's the biggest part of it. Don't make it your identity. Don't Um, carry it on your back for the next 50, 60, 70 years. Absolutely. You know, one of my favorite movies is Scrooge. And the reason for that is the chains, Marley's chains. So many of us have chains like that, that we've created and all we've got to do is let them go. But nobody tells you that you can do that. We all carry way too much baggage. Mm-hmm. We don't need to. We can let it go and learn from it. But that the let it go is the important part. Yeah. Right. Learn and then let it go. I love what you said about the identity part. I could write a whole book. I could do a whole nother series of podcasts all about that one thing about people thought my last name was Peak because our business was Peak Automotive. So I totally get it. It was a very hard thing for me when peak was no longer a thing. I'm so happy that we did this. I think the conversation is just phenomenal. I have a feeling it could be like a Jocko podcast. I think we could go for hours and hours about this. So I want to wrap it up and ask each of you for your last word. Is there anything that's just burning on? I just want to get this in there. Do you have any last lesson or tip or feedback or anything that you want to share? Cecil, do you have anything? Take the next step forward. Just keep walking because you get to the promised land at some point. Brian? I would say if you find yourself in that situation where you think you need to do it, get some outside consultation. And I'm not talking about just from an attorney because the attorney's job is to sell bankruptcies. You know, get some outside consultation and you may have to figure out some kind of way to make some money to pay for that or something. But get someone that is outside of the emotion of the situation to look at everything and help you determine, is this really the right thing to do? And if it is, do it unapologetically, move forward with it and get on the other side of it. And also don't let it be that thing that causes so much fear in your life that you can't go out and do it again. Not bankruptcy, but like whatever you were doing to begin with, if it was business, don't let it be that thing that keeps you from ever doing it again. Like all of us have said, learn from the mistakes, move on, become better from it and go have success on the other side of it. You're right. Rick? I want to touch on just two things. Number one, 
if you're thinking about, do I stay in business or do I keep pushing money or do I go bankrupt? You're kind of at a crossroads and nothing's happening until you make a decision. Go all in one way or the other. If it's possible to avoid bankruptcy, I think everybody here would tell you avoid it. I need you to understand. I said it sucks, but a bankruptcy is not an event. It's a journey. And how long that journey takes is up to you and how long you're going to get stuck in it or how long you're going to push through it. You're going through hell. It's going to suck, but get through it. But realize there's a beautiful life on the other side of it. Just do what you got to do. So my own personal final word actually goes back to something Rick said about if your spouse, your partner is not in a place where you can have that conversation. One thing about this industry is that there is a massive number of amazing people in this industry who will listen, who will be a shoulder to cry on, to talk to, whatever it might be. I know for a fact without even asking that you can reach out to Brian. I know without a a question, you can reach out to Rick or Cecil or myself. You need somebody to talk to about bankruptcy, not a professional opinion, but just sharing our own experience or just listening. And I know some of us that will even pray with you. So whatever it is that you need, just reach out. We are an email, a Facebook message, whatever it might be. We're not difficult to find. So reach out to someone and talk about it. So with that said, guys, oh my gosh. Thank you so much. We're the marketing podcast and we not talk a lick about marketing. That was not our intent, but I did a search for podcasts all out there to see if, hey, has has this already been covered? Let's not recreate the wheel. And I had a very difficult time finding anything. So I really appreciate you joining me on here, giving of your time and talking about this taboo topic and letting people know there is hope on the other side. So for those of you that are listening, thank you once again for listening in to the Auto Repair Marketing Podcast. I want to ask you if you have any questions about marketing or whatever it might be automotive related. You can reach out to us and you know that we're either going to write a blog or record a class or a podcast or something about it. So send us your questions, your feedback, your comments, all that stuff to ask at shopmarketingpros.com or podcast at shopmarketingpros.com. And we will answer that for you. I also invite you to join us in our Facebook group, the Auto Repair Marketing Mastermind, where we just got over a thousand people in there. We're very proud of and excited. It is a great group with a lot of really valuable conversations. So with that being said, please join us over there. We appreciate you listening in. Brian, I know you have some last words. Well, before I do, Cecil, how can people reach out to you? Yes. Cecil at weartheinstitute.com. That's my email, personal email. I'm, I will always give someone a sum of my time. And I think if you put us in a room, some of us in here know quite a bit about the automotive business. So we might be able to help there also to give you some ideas to think your way out of this. Yeah. All right. And Rick, how can people get in touch with you? It's Rick at 180-B-I-Z-B-I-Z-Biz.com. All right. Well, thank you again for listening. We are just one podcast on the Aftermarket Radio Network. You can find out about the others at aftermarketradionetwork.com. I want to thank our sponsors, RepairPal, again for sponsoring this episode. And we're glad that you listened. So I uh, hope you'll listen in again next week. And until then, go fill those bays. You've been listening to the Auto Repair Marketing Podcast with Kim and Brian Walker. Follow the podcast on your favorite listening app. Find their emails in the show notes and visit them at shopmarketingpros.com. Let Kim and Brian know what you want discussed because they're all about advancing the aftermarket.